0: Any information in this podcast is not intended to promote or recommend any particular product or services offered by Bell's family and associates. It does not take into account the objectives, financial situation, or needs of any investor. Before making an investment decision, investors should seek professional advice.
1: The subject of today's podcast, as I jokingly said to Lucy, is why so bullish, cowboy? And I titled it that because I wrote a piece at the beginning of 2023, which I've posted and then sort of followed up over the last couple of weeks. And if you follow FinTwit, which is all of the people commenting on finance on Twitter, which is a really good place to find great insights, you'll find that pretty much everybody is a hater of this rally and is bearish and will give you a million reasons why it's all going to end in tears. And I respect a lot of those ideas, but I think that they, what we need to be the most careful about is getting trapped in our story and in our paradigm and not being willing to shift that paradigm based on new information, which of course may have to be new information back to me. So why so bullish really is, hey, there's a lot of good reasons to be bullish, many of them technical, but the market does tell us a lot. And some of them, I think, are fundamental.
0: Thanks, Gavin. Welcome, everybody, to this week's Tomorrow's News. I am sitting in not so sunny Melbourne this weekend, and Gavin is back in Sydney. So excited to be back in the same time zone and very excited to talk about what's been going on in the markets and otherwise
1: this week. It's rare when you observe markets that you get a lot right. And the last couple of weeks have been going more right in terms of aligning to some of my base thesis than wrong, which is fantastic. But as I said up front, you know, why so bullish? Well, I guess I'm more bullish than most, but I'm not buying with both hands yet. And so, you know, this is not financial advice, but I, you know, I never believe you should be zero percent long equities. Equities mostly go up, so zero is always too low a number, even if you're going to experience a downturn. But you know, I'd be closer to fifty percent invested now than twenty or twenty-five, which I've been saying mm. in the in the latter part and, of 2022. And what, are the, what are
0: the signals or, or things that you've been looking at that's prompted you to think a little bit differently now?
1: Right. It's always tempting to say that the market is wrong. They've, they've got it wrong. Uh, they've got it's either too high or too low or whatever. But you got to really look at at how we find things. So there is a significant impulsive, positive, historical, impulsive effect of the US dollar weakening relative to other currencies. So when the US dollar is going down relative, It is generally good for stocks and it is really good for risk. So historically, when you have the kinds of reversal that we've seen in the U.S. dollar, you get very positive returns out of risk like the NASDAQ. In fact, history would say it'll be up more than 25 percent over the period. The other thing to observe in any rally is, well, what's making it happen here? You know, one of the things I commented on last year was, well, can a new rally really get going until we go out and we and we see the collapse of everything that was part of the old rally and that, you know, you could use crypto, you could use Tesla, Apple, Amazon, you know, pick your favorites. And the answer is, well, we finally took Tesla out, I think, probably still more to go there. but But that weighs in some part on the major indices that are obviously weighted by market cap. But if you look at the broad base of stocks, the mid-cap 400, the middle of the index, Mm -hmm. it's been performing extremely well. Advanced declines are up over two to one, meaning that many, many more stocks are going up than they're going down. Mm -hmm. And that tends to be an excellent forward signal about what's going to happen, right? We're not just talking about the biggest stocks. We're not just talking about Narrow indices, we're talking about the broad base. Remember, many of these stocks also were down an awful lot in the prior period, right, over the last year. The other thing that I'm thinking a lot about is the Fed and inflation. And on January 27th, so about a little over a week from now, or a little less than a week from now, we're going to get the PCE deflator, which is the Fed's preferred measure of inflation. The Fed likes this measure a lot better because rather than just looking at inflation in terms of all the goods that are available to be purchased and so forth it looks at what how people actually spend. If you follow Cardi B who has now become a bit of a finance expert, Cardi B said, "Oh my god, lettuce is like $7. This inflation thing is crazy." Hmm. Well, she's maybe right about the price of lettuce. I have no idea. But what we would observe about consumers is when lettuce is $7, people are making fewer Caesar salads. You know, at the end of the day, consumers do a lot of switching, right? And that means that the experienced inflation is often different to the headline inflation. And so the Fed tends to look at this measure. Now it was up in the November reading. We're about to get to the December reading, up five and a half percent. Food is up an awful lot as a component of that, services off up, up a whole lot. But at the end of the day, the Fed is winning against inflation. Okay. In fact, I think our bigger concern as we go through this year, and I wrote a little bit about this, maybe that when we get an inflation to deflation back to inflation kind of. Uh, roller coaster. At the end of the day, though, when you look at the bond market, it's telling you bond yields are in aggregate lower. They're a lot lower than their peak. Mm-hmm. They're saying the the economy is softening. Likely the impact of the Fed that the Fed is having is working. And thus we're getting closer to the end of interest rate hikes. Generally, the, the Fed needs to start cutting rates before stocks really work but the market anticipates and every cycle is a little different. So this is a positive influence, although I would say it's it's uncertain. But the one thing I can be pretty certain of is that the Fed is winning against inflation. Okay? Mm. And as I say, we should be a little bit worried that we get deflation, which is actually pernicious and very, very negative. Now, we should also remember that the bond market and all kinds of you know market forecasts get things wrong. The bond market could be way overshooting. So it's not at all clear. It's not a buy with both hands. But we also shouldn't ignore that the biggest pools of capital are moving in a certain direction. Now, for this audience, which is in some part in Australia and Asia, there's another signal that's critical. And you're experiencing this if you're an Australian as the Australian dollar, which I've also been very positive on, and I continued, I think it's going to be a great performance this year. The Australian dollar performing really nicely here. Mm-hmm. You know, you can, there's nice little charts that would actually show that we may have seen the lows of the Australian dollar in the low 60s, and now we could move towards even 80 cents. Probably that's wow. a little aggressive, but towards 80 cents through this year. And we're seeing that in markets through emerging markets outperformance. Now, again, we've got to be conscious of indices here. One of the biggest contributors to emerging markets indices is China. China. And what we can see is Chinese ADRs, the Chinese market coming out of COVID has moved rapidly to a new level. Does it look a little overbought here? It does in the near term. And as I said, you know, about even the S&P pulling back, you know, if you're Profile is one to two weeks. Eh, you know there may be some puts and takes. But what I could observe that might be very different in this part of the cycle we haven't seen this since the early 2000s, and I'll maybe publish a chart on this is that the outperformance of emerging markets from 2000 to 2009 versus the S& p was profound, right? Mm. And commodities worked during that period the US dollar was weaker, emerging markets may be a five-year performer. It plays nicely into this whole thematic around taking Russia out of the commodity game and us needing commodities from Africa, from Latin America, from Australia elsewhere. Australia is, of course, not an emerging market. But that's really, really critical. I think if you don't have EM exposure, go get some figure out, you can figure out when you want to go at it, but I think you should have emerging markets exposure. Um, You probably naturally get that through Australian dollars. And I I think the Australian dollar looks pretty good here too. So those are all the positive signs. I mean, there's lots of technicals. The S&P is now, you know, uh, has 21 closes above its six month moving average. There's so much negative sentiment about retail and institutional investors. I can tell you Even venture investors that I speak to are sort of hiding under their desks, which is a great sign. You know, they've been really feeling a bit beat up over the last period. But it's not all up from here. There are some concerns. And and one of them that I would highlight and that we need to be aware of. And it's why I think we need to consider that this is a period where manager skill will come to play and, and we're buying individual securities Versus buying indices may come to play. Mm. Is that any period where you have two years of massive outperformance, followed by one year of underperformance, is in history followed by a long period of consolidation okay. and as many as three years. So, three years of pretty, I would say, modest returns from an index perspective. So, this is not a time in my view, to just say, all right, let's go buy the S&P 500 and it'll all be fine. I think your experience of that may be some pretty punk returns over the next few years. But composition, having some active managers, I think you can generate some pretty healthy returns. And in fact, I would argue that the emerging markets outperformance could be profound during a period where the S&P is not a great performer. That's the framework, right? We've got to be more active. We've got to be more global. It could be the really, you know, game on for commodities. That's what I'm thinking about these days.
0: And I mean, um, commodities, and when you would talk about China, when you think about China, often people are talking about you know, semiconductors. This is the topic of the mm-hmm. century. And, and Gavin, you shared with me an excellent podcast, which we'll definitely share to our community as well about chips and why it's become mm-hmm. an area of renewed interest recently. Um, how does that fit in everything?
1: Yeah, well, look, how does it fit? Why does it fit? So, so I think, first of all, I would recommend everybody listens to that podcast. I'm sure somebody is going to point out to me that there are other podcasts on semiconductors that are equally as good. So please share those as well. But Jay Goldberg, who runs through the chip market with Benedict Evans is fantastic. So, why does it matter so much? Well, it matters because obviously, at a high level, we're in a period of geopolitical change, shift power centers. And we've seen in October of last year, the US take a pretty major sta- uh, step to hamper China's ability to build next generation chips. Probably a pretty successful step. if. You know, that that's their objective. And it's really interesting to understand that because chips really do feed our world. And one of the things that is really interesting here is that there is a huge shift going on globally about how important countries see having advanced chip design and manufacturing located. Within their borders, so be it the U.S. or Europe or wherever. The reality, of course, is there's really only two com- two companies in the world. You know, one in Korea and one in Taiwan that are really good at making these super advanced chips. And there are very few companies that can even design them. But I think what it stresses to us is that over the next five to ten years, there's going to be massive investment in this arena, and that is likely going to benefit the incumbents in a material way. And so technically, semiconductor stocks look great here. The, you know, The NASDAQ looks good. Semiconductor stocks look even better. And I'd be investing in them. This may be a truncated cycle. But pulling back, and it's worth listening to this, this podcast on this topic, pulling back, we are at a period where there are a lot of folks saying, well, look, Moore's law, which is the sort of Doubling of capacity and and having of size of chips and and getting more complexity in ever smaller packages maybe coming to an end. Well, that you know that may be true, but as we know through our investment in Playground and some of their companies, this is a period where you could well see a step change in the environment and real disruption. And so I think semiconductors being so core to everything we do today are an area where most people probably don't know enough and aren't in, invested, and it's it's worth having an understanding. And then I would cover all of that by saying, even when you look at the US chip policy and China's challenges and so forth, 80 or 90% of the chips that we use every day aren't these real high-end, super micro chips at all. They are the bread and butter, pretty simple stuff anybody can manufacture. So, if you think about it, that we could get overly fixated on this very, very nuanced edge when the bulk of the world, frankly, for most of what we do, uses a pretty much a commoditized product. But what everybody cares about in industrial policy is saying, I want to make sure that this high end, element is something that we have control over, and that's why it's important to to consider. I think it's going to have implications for what China does with Taiwan, if anything, how U.S.-Chinese relations go, how we see the development of AI, how different companies like Apple or Google or others make investments in chips that are specialized for their needs. Really, really interesting. So I'll leave it there. I own the SOX, which is the uh, the ETF that represents the uh, semiconductor index. I, I think it looks like a great play to me today. So, you know, I would probably add that instead of, you know, the NASDAQ broadly. But, you know, that's just one idea that's worth considering.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we've covered a bunch of things today. And as we probably draw to a close, was there anything else of note that has excited you that piqued your interest this week? What, we sh- what should we be looking at in the week ahead apart from January 27th and, and the outcomes of that? Sure.
1: sure. Well, look, I can always talk about what confuses me. And I'll tell you what confuses me right now. It's the performance of gold, Bitcoin, and Ethereum, and then you know some of the crypto alts as well. And I can't figure out if we're in the early phase of a new bull market. I can make that argument. Or if we're just very, very overbought off the bottom. And we need a significant retest, maybe even go lower before we start a new bull market. It's going to be interesting to see. I think that we're seeing a lot of washout in the crypto markets, but there are real assets in that space. And as it relates to gold, the weird thing about gold is it generally performs well when the US dollar goes down, but it generally also performs really well when there are risks that are emerging that we aren't necessarily paying attention to. And so what I'm thinking about is gold telling me something here that I need to be listening more carefully to about emerging risks. So as I say, we're not buying with both hands. We're generally more bullish, but I do see signals there that are worth paying attention to.
0: Yeah. That sounds like a lot of food for thought. And and to end... Gav, do we have your Twitter follow for this week?
1: I think rather than the Twitter follow, I'd say, listen to that podcast. And out of that, you can follow Jay Goldberg. If you want to know more about Semiconductors, he publishes a bunch of pieces himself. But yeah, so I would just have a quick listen to that podcast. It's an easy listen, and hopefully you'll feel more informed after listening to it.
0: Absolutely. We'll include those in the show notes and share it in- our WhatsApp groups and look forward to continuing the discussion offline.
1: Have a, a great rest of your weekend, Lucy.
0: Thank you too, Gavin.